Today is December 13th, 2023. This is Everyone Has an Opinion. My name is Juan. Welcome to another boxing edition of the podcast. We got a ton to get into, but first let's talk about what took place this weekend. Devin the Dream Haney outclassed Regis Progre through the course of 12 rounds. A complete shutout. Not only did he shut him out, but he drops him early in that. So it was just utter domination. Devin Haney really didn't have any difficulty throughout the course of 12 rounds. He really displayed to the world that he is a top five fighter on this planet, pound for pound. He jumps up to 140, and in his first fight, he does this to a world-class fighter in Regis Progre. And I get it. Regis is coming off a horrible performance, but he was still the champion. He still only had one loss in his career, and that fight was a fight-of-the-year candidate. It was a razor-close fight against Josh Taylor. Go back and watch that one if you haven't seen it. But Devin Haney just pitched a shutout. Like, literally. There wasn't even a round that you could try to give to Regis Program. It was that dominant. It was something that will be talked about for years to come because it was the second weight class in which Devin captured the championship. It was his first attempt at that weight class. And it's something that if we're looking back, we got to see what Devin Haney does from here on out. But when we're looking back, we might be saying that is the exact moment that catapulted Haney into a superstar because this was his second pay-per-view in a row. It was a sold-out event. Over 16,000 were in attendance. And his performance was remarkable. Going into it, I believe Devin Haney was the favorite. Devin Haney was who I picked to win. But I figured there would be a moment or two in this fight where Devin Haney would face some adversity. I thought Progray would land something significant that would test Haney. That never came. That never happened. Devin Haney fought a perfect fight. He didn't allow himself in position to get hurt. He didn't allow himself to get clipped. From round one, he boxed brilliantly by moving away from Progress's left hand. He circled to the right of Progray, causing Progray to lead, uh, to lunge rather with that left hand if he wanted to land it. The thing is, Progray didn't put himself in position to land it. He didn't take any risk to land it. He was content getting outboxed. There were different things he seemed to try in there from a technical standpoint, but none of it worked. He went to the body a little bit. He tried to leap towards Haney a little bit. Haney just had the distance down so perfectly and was picking him apart from whichever range Devin Haney dictated during that fight. Whether it was the jab, whether it was the straight right hand, and he mixed in some occasional really powerful uppercuts. It's funny because the narrative going into this fight was that Devin Haney is this pillow-fisted fighter. Progray could walk through some of his shots. Well, it didn't happen. He got dropped by one of his shots, actually. And again, nobody's ever going to confuse... Devin Haney with the likes of Aaron Pryor or 
Roberto Duran or some of these bigger punches at that weight in the sport's history. But clearly, he's landing something significant that is keeping you off of him. If he was fighting with just absolutely no power whatsoever, fighters would be running through his punches in order to inflict damage of their own. Regis Progray was in no rush to do so because every time he tried, he got caught with something that his body didn't react well to. He was wobbled several times in this fight. If Devin Haney really, really pressed forward, there's a good chance he could have got a stoppage. Maybe not, but I think there was a good chance he could have gotten the stoppage. He just didn't feel the need to. Why am I going to put myself in at risk where the only chance Progray had was landing a big shot late in that fight. He was down every single round. So when that 12th round came, it's like, all right, I'm already up 11-0. Why am I going to risk it? What What is the point? And he still won that round. He still w- was dictating the fight. He was the one pressing action. Progray didn't land significant punches throughout this fight at all. Barely threw that many either. It was just a complete performance from Haney. And... A lackluster one from Progray. But again, that is not to knock Haney. You can't take that away from him. He did his job. He boxed so well that night that it looked like he would be anybody at 140 currently. And I look at 140 as the deepest division in boxing currently. You've got guys like Sobriel Matias. You have Tiafimo Lopez. You have Gary Antoine Russell. You have Ryan Garcia. You have Roly Romero. Regardless of how you rank him, he's still a puncher in the division. You have guys like Sandro Martin, Jose Ramirez, Richardson Hitchens, Jack Catterall still lingering around there. You have Elvis Rodriguez who seems to bounce back. There's a lot of talent in this division. There's a lot of guys you can mix and match and have competitive fights with. I don't know if any of them can beat Devin Haney right now. The best chance I'd give someone would have to be between Teofimo Lopez and Subriel Matias. Matias, just the pure punching power that he possesses. This guy literally killed a fighter. He has made his last five opponents quit on their stool. Say, listen, we have no interest in fighting anymore. That's the type of damage he inflicts. A guy like that, you have to give a shot in any fight currently in his division. And he holds a championship. It's not like he's some guy where there's no reward whatsoever of fighting him. He is a champion. So keep that in mind when you hear about guys supposedly avoiding Sabriel Matias. There isn't much of a reason. I get he's not a star, but if you want a championship, if you want to become undisputed in that division, you're going to have to go through Matias. And then, of course, you have to mention the two toughest fights in the division, in my opinion, and that would be one, Tiafimo Lopez, who is a current champion. He outclassed Josh Taylor, destroyed him. I think he would be a fantastic matchup with Devin Haney. I think that would be a tit-for-tat fight, a 50-50 type fight. Because with Tio, you have the athleticism. He has the pop. He has the ring IQ. The only thing you question with Tio is his mental state. How is he feeling? What's he going through currently in his private life? But I will say he is a guy that tends to get up for the big fights. The biggest fights of his career... He's won them all, and he was an underdog in two of them. You have the fight against Richard Comey. I think the odds were decently close. I'm not sure exactly, but I know he was going. He was a challenger going up against a champion. 
he stops Comey early in that fight. He was the underdog against Vasily Lomachenko. He ends up outboxing him. And then, most recently, like I just mentioned, the Josh Taylor fight, he was the underdog in that fight as well. It was to capture his second championship in as many divisions. He outclasses him. He beats him like 9-3-10-2. Pure dominance. So I think that's a fight that really interests me. I think the public would be excited for that one. But then you have the mega fight. Gervonta Tank Davis. I get he's at 135, but he has fought at 140 before. He fought Mario Barrios. He actually stops Mario Barrios. Barrios is a guy who, if he's not just as big as Devin Haney, he's fairly close. I mean, we're talking about a guy that's fighting at 147 right now. So he is a bigger guy. Tank was over to was able to overcome the size advantage that Barrios had because Tank's skill level is that high. So him versus Haney, I think, would be a fantastic matchup. I hear a lot of fans complaining about weight issues and, and they want Devin Haney to come down to 135. Listen, that's done. We saw Devin Haney fight 30 fights at 135 pounds. This is a grown man. This is a guy who is, I believe he's 25 years of age now. You want him to make 135 pounds for his whole career? He's not as small as Tank. He has to move up. He was depleting his body. And that's what I said on this podcast many times. He was depleting himself to make those big fights at 35. Now he's done with that. He's not touching 135 pounds again in his life. There's no reason to. I just told you earlier that Javante has fought at 140 pounds before. So for the fans saying, oh, it's he's not big enough to make 140, then in your opinion, you don't think he's good enough to beat Devin Haney at 140. Because he was able to overcome the size advantage, or disadvantage rather, against Barrios. So are you not comfortable with that fight? Because Devin Haney is now a 140-pounder. He holds a championship there. He vacated at 135. That chapter of his career is over. The only way we're going to get this fight is above 135 pounds. And Javante Tank Davis himself came out today and said he's ready to go to 140. So I think that is a fight we're going to get in 2024. I think by the time we get it, it could possibly be the biggest fight in the sport. I talked about how Devin Haney just sold out in San Francisco, 16,000. Javante Tank Davis is the type of star that could sell out anywhere in the country, regardless of the opponent. So when these two guys meet, it's going to be a clash of the titan. It's going to be a massive event. I can't wait for it. I hope it gets made this uh, upcoming year. Whether it's the first fight back, I would probably say no. I think Javante Tank Davis is going to take someone else. I just hope it's a credible opponent. I don't want to see Isak Cruz in a rematch. We've already seen Javante Tank Davis defeat that guy with one hand. I don't see any reason for a rematch. So hopefully Tank fights somebody solid and then continues to build up this fight against Devin Haney because these two guys are going back and forth. They're trash talking. This fight is getting bigger each and every time that we hear about it.
And by the time they both enter the ring against each other, it's going to be a blockbuster event. So that was this past weekend. Also, this past weekend, we got a really fun ESPN top-ranked card. I have to give them credit. I give them a lot of flack on this podcast about some of the matchmaking they've had. Some of the fights, I say, get off my screen. These are terrible mismatches. This week appeared to be another one of those on paper, but it absolutely delivered. It really did. I want to talk about, before, I'm not going to talk about every fight on this card, but I want to talk about the eight-rounder we got between Jahai Tucker and the unbeaten Argentinian Francisco Verone. This fight on paper, I thought, was really interesting. I said an eight-rounder, Jahai Tucker, he's matched up tough. He's coming off of a loss. And this guy from Argentina who's unbeaten has 13 knockouts. Excuse me, 13 victories, no defeats, and 10 knockouts. I said, you know what? I don't know much about this guy. But apparently he's a slugger. Apparently he puts people on the canvas. Apparently he's from Argentina, so I know how they get down over there. There's a lot of quality fighters that come from there. Talk about Matisse, uh, Marcos Maidana, more recently Brian Castaño. They have a good reputation over there. So I saw this on paper and I said, okay, that's one of the fights I'm definitely going to tune into. And boy, did it deliver as one of the better eight rounders you'll see all year. Jahai Tucker was fighting like his career was on the line. He's the type of fighter I've always said has the skills. He was one of the top prospects for me heading into the year. He has the skills, but it's his approach that really troubles me. Because he seems to make fights tougher than they need to be. And this was kind of the case here. Verone was a pressure fighter. He was going in there to seek and destroy. And um, Tucker didn't really care about his power. He seemed to say, you know what? You got power, yeah, but I got bigger power. And I'm going to land my shots uh, more frequently than you. I'm going to outslug you. That didn't work. It was super exciting, though. He had his moments. It was a draw in the end. I thought Tucker could have won the fight if he used his back foot game a little bit more, used his jab a little bit more, but he was trying to land bombs, and he wasn't moving his head as often as I thought he could have, but it was such a good fight. Go back and watch this if you missed it. It was on the ESPN top rank preliminary bout card. It was on the same card that had Robesi Ramirez in a war against Espinosa, and I want to talk about that fight. That fight could be one of the top fights of the year. Robesi Ramirez, the former champion, he headed into this bout as the featherweight championship of the WBO, featherweight champion of the WBO, and he fought Rafael Espinosa. When I saw this fight on paper, I said, oh, I don't need to watch that fight. I mean, it's clearly a showcase fight for Robesi. It's in his home of Florida where he resides now. This is going to be a wash. This is a guy that they're building up to hopefully be a future Inouye opponent if Inouye moves up to that weight class. Boy, was I wrong. I didn't even catch this fight live. I was watching the Devin Haney card. But wow, this was a war. Espinosa, a guy who was relatively unknown, he came into this fight as 
24-0 unknown guy, right? I get it. He's unbeaten. But when I saw the odds, he was minus 1,200, I believe. Something crazy like that. Correct me if I'm wrong. It was very, very wide odds. I thought the guy had no shot. So I hear he gets the upset. Then I go back and watch the fight. Wow. Espinosa is a big, tall 6-1. Think about that. 6-1 at featherweight. We talk about Fondora, who's like 6-3, fighting at 154. This guy is fighting at 126. At 6-1. And he fights like Fondora. Tall, but can fight on the inside. Throwing insane uppercuts, big power hooks. He had all the confidence in the world. He didn't care that he was the challenger. He didn't care that he was in his opponent's hometown. He stepped to him, established his jab early, established that he was the bigger fighter, and he began frequently targeting Robesi Ramirez's body. As soon as I, I knew the results going in, but as soon as I watched that first round, I said, oh man, this was a bad style matchup for Obese. This was a back and forth fight though. This was a really good fight. Robesi was taking a beating for the first four or five rounds, made a slight comeback, gets a drop, and it was a hell of a right hook that he lands. I thought he was going to, even though I knew the outcome, <laughs> you know when you watch something, you're like, wait a minute, is this going to go how I think it's going to go? It looked like he was going to stop um, Espinosa at one point in the fight. Espinosa barely survives that round, gets back up, loses a couple rounds here and there, but was clearly the more impressive, more dominant fighter throughout. And then he gets the stoppage of Ramirez late in that fight. That's what sealed it for him. That's what got him the victory. But wow, what a fight. Go back and watch that one. Those two fights on the card, the, the Jahai Tucker fight and the Rafael Espinosa upset fight. Like, damn. This was some really good stuff on ESPN. They delivered. In the co-main, you had Xander Zayas. That was a showcase fight. That's a guy who I'm high on as well. This guy gets a lot of hate, but he's really young. He's extremely young. He's an action fighter. He has a good fan base. Puerto Ricans show up for him to support him. Xander Zayas just needs a step up in competition. Is he the best fighter in the world or anything like that? No, but he's a good fighter. He's young. He needs to be tested a little bit. Don't throw him in there with a world champion just yet, but throw him in there with top quality contenders. Not champions yet, but give him a couple of contenders. See where he's at. I think he's destined to be a world champion. Maybe not in 2024, maybe 2025, but I think now is the time to start building in competition. He's building in name value. He's building in fanfare. He's getting co-main. He's getting prime time slots on ESPN. Now it's time to give him some competition. But that about covers everything from last weekend. Let's talk about this weekend. This weekend, we have a ton of boxing, don't we? We have a little card on Friday night. Jake Paul taking on a prospect. Um, August, I believe his name is. Not August Elsina, not the guy that was messing around with Will Smith's wife. Um, there's a prospect boxer named August. I don't know much about him. But it seems to me... Like, this fight is kind of what boxing fans wanted from uh, Jake Paul. They wanted him 
to fight boxers. Why don't you fight boxers? You're fighting all these MMA guys. Well, now he's fighting a legit prospect because he himself, in reality, is a prospect. He's fighting guy Andre August. This isn't a pay-per-view. It's on regular zone. It's on a Friday night. And he's trying to build up his career the right way, it seems. He's going in there with a fellow prospect. We're going to see where he stands at. I don't know anything about August, Andre August, whatever his name is. I'm not here to break down his fighting style, but I'm just here to mention it really quick. It's a blip on the radar. It's not the biggest thing this weekend. It's not even on Saturday. It's on Friday. Something to watch. I'll probably check it out if I'm home. But Jake Paul, I've always said, has a good right hand. Um, He's working on the stamina. He's learning every day. He's active, which is extremely important. We're going to see his level. He lost a close fight to Tommy Fury. He's beaten up every MMA fighter he stepped in the ring with. And now he's fighting a legit prospect in the sport of boxing. So we'll see um, if he's if he's learned anything over the past few years, if he's improving, and if he starts taking his boxing career seriously. I know he's into making big events. I know he's into making big money. That's a given with his name status, his, his um, popularity out there. He can sell pay-per-views against any UFC fighter and stuff like that. But here's a card. It's a, under the radar. It's um, They're not asking you to buy it. It's a DAZN event that's just going to be on regular DAZN if you're a subscriber. So I think that's good news for Jake Paul's boxing career. We're going to see how serious he's taking it, if he's going to get this guy out of here or if he's going to lose again. If he loses again, I'd probably say he better go back to the MMA route and just beat up old MMA guys and make a career out of that. If he wins this fight, depending on how good he looks, continue to rise. Continue to rise. Like I said about Xander Zayas, continue to rise in competition. Fight another uh, guy on your level experience-wise in the sport and build up from there, and we'll see. We'll Go as far as your talent can take you. I'm all for guys challenging themselves. I'm all for guys trying new things. If Jake Paul can get over this guy, good for him. Keep it going. Well, let's talk about some real good fights this weekend. Let's talk about Saturday night on DAZN. We have a fantastic matchup. We talk about the best fighting the best, right? We always talk about that. 2023 has been a year where we're getting the best versus the best, and this is no different. We're talking about V2, number one and number two, the best flyweights in the world. Jesse Bam Rodriguez taking on Sonny Edwards. Excellent matchup. This fight is only the second flyweight unification fight since 1965. I keep saying we're in a great era right now. This is something that isn't happening often, hasn't happened since 1965. Think about that. So Sonny Edwards and Bam Rodriguez, two extremely talented fighters. I think you're looking at the winner of this fight becoming on that fringe top 10 pound for pound. You can make an argument the winner is on that list. Okay, You have Bam Rodriguez, who's a young fighter who's already accomplished a lot. He's 23 years of age. He is 18-0. He has 11 knockouts. 
He has victories over guys like Sariskit Sorungvisai, over guys like Carlos Cuadras. He has recently beaten Israel Gonzalez and Christian Gonzalez. Those two fights were a little bit lackluster. The Israel Gonzalez fight was on the Canelo versus Triple G3 card. I expected him to put on a show that night. He did not. He got a victory, but it wasn't that entertaining of a fight. And then, of course, the Christian Gonzalez fight that took place in April of this year. He won the fight, but he broke his jaw in that fight. So he's faced adversity recently, and now he's stepping up against his toughest challenge yet. So Risket Sarungvisai presented so many issues with his power and his experience and his toughness, but Bam stopped him in the eighth round. Sonny Edwards is going to apply a different type of challenge to Bam Rodriguez. He's going to challenge him in skill level and mental capacity and patience, most importantly. You have to be extremely patient to beat a fighter like Sonny Edwards. Sonny Edwards is the type of guy that will outbox you from the outside with a jab all night long. He doesn't care if it's a boring fight. He doesn't care if it's an ugly fight. He's looking to win by any means necessary. Sonny Edwards is 20-0 with four knockouts. What does that tell you? He's not taking major risks in there, and he doesn't have extreme power. Only four knockouts. His last knockout was all the way back in 2019. So I don't expect Sonny Edwards to knock Bam out. I expect Sonny Edwards to try and put on a clinic against a young fighter. Sonny Edwards is 27. Sonny Edwards is in his prime. Sonny Edwards is listed as an orthodox fighter, but he is extremely tricky. This guy can switch flawlessly. Think Terrence Crawford when it comes to switching, without the skill, without the power of Terrence Crawford. But Sonny Edwards possesses skills in his own right. Back foot game is A-level. Remember, these are the two best flyweights currently. This is going to be a matchup that is going to resemble a chess match. It could be boring. I'm going to be straight up with you. It could end up being boring because of the way Sonny Edwards fights. He's not necessarily a boring fighter, but he will resort to that if that's his only path to victory. He's not going to let his pride get in his way of winning. He is a winner. So it does have that potential to be a dud, but I think there's a better case of it being back and forth. What I love about both of these fighters is they've both been tested as far as their competition goes. Sonny Edwards has been in there with the likes of Mohamed Wasim. He's been in there with Felix Alvarado. He's been in there with uh, Maruti Mithilane. All really talented fighters in the division. It's not like these guys are just stepping up and, and coming out of nowhere and finally getting their first challenge. Bam Rodriguez has been challenged by the guys that... I mentioned before, Sariskit Sorungvisai, he had his jaw broken in his last fight, uh, the match against Quadras. The competition level has been stacked for both of these fighters leading up to this fight. So I think both fighters will be ready, both fighters will be prepared. It's going to come down to strategy. Um, Edwards, as I mentioned, on the outside. And then Bam, I think he's going to try to crash the pocket, try and get inside, use his Excellent footwork to create an angle, almost similar to Lomachenko, how people wowed, were wowed by his angles. I think Bam Rodriguez fights in a similar style where 
He's going to spin around the opponent. He's looking to land big power shots. Bam Rodriguez probably will be the bigger guy as far as weight goes into this fight. So I think he's going to try to impose his will at times. It's going to be hard, though, to close that gap. Sonny Edwards is a master of distance. And I think Edwards is going to be trying to catch Bam on his way inside with that check left hook that Sonny Edwards loves to throw. The question is, does it have enough power on it to keep Bam off of him? Another question I have is each opponent's gas tank. Bam Rodriguez cuts a lot of weight to get down to fly weight. Is he going to be drained? Is that going to hurt him later in the fight? Is Sonny Edwards, a guy who I thought faded against Felix Alvarado, is he going to fade in this fight with the constant pressure that Bam Rodriguez likes to bring? If Sonny Edwards fades in this fight, I think there's a potential that Bam could stop him. That's the type of fighter that Bam is. He's a seek and destroy. When he finds you hurt, he's going to get you out of there. And Sonny Edwards, on the other hand, if he has a situation where Bam is tired, Sonny Edwards is the type that likes to clown you. He's, his nickname is Showtime. He likes to show boat in that ring. He likes to show the crowd and show the judges, hey, this guy is not on my level. It's very rare you find a competitive fight involving Sonny Edwards. He tends to win the majority of his fights by a wide margin, and he likes to show off while doing so. He'll look at the crowd. He'll look in the air like, where was that punch going? He likes to make his opponents look inferior. If we get a situation where Bam Rodriguez is tired in this fight, it could be a wide, wide decision for Sonny Edwards. But on the contrary, if um, on the flip side rather, if Sonny Edwards finds himself gasping for air late in this fight, Bam Rodriguez will go for the kill. I like Bam Rodriguez in a close fight, but it's interesting I was thinking about it earlier, how all these fights that we've gotten, these these A-side versus A-side type fights where it's two great fighters matching up against each other in 2023, not many of them have been competitive, had they? Think about it. We've had Terrence Crawford versus Earl Spence. The biggest fight we could possibly imagine heading into the year turned out to be a one-sided ass-whooping by Terrence Crawford. You had Canelo Alvarez versus Jamel Charlo. Um, there was a, a weight gap difference in that fight, but a lot of people thought it would be competitive. I myself actually picked Jermel Charlo in that fight. That fight wasn't competitive whatsoever. We had David Benavidez versus Andrade. I thought that fight was competitive, but it turned into a beating. Same thing went for Caleb Plant. Started off competitive, turned into a one-sided beating. We also had Nauya Inouye versus Stephen Fulton. Nauya Inouye moving up in weight. Thought the weight might be a factor. That wasn't a factor. He completely washed Stephen Fulton over in Japan. We also had a fight that I mentioned earlier. Tiafimo Lopez versus Josh Taylor. Going into it, Tio was the underdog. I expected a competitive fight in that one. Tio completely dominated that fight. And then most recently, last weekend, Regis Progray against Devin Haney. I thought there would be some trouble for Haney in that fight. And it was a 12-0 shutout. Is this fight going to be different? Is this fight... Going to be more like Loma and Haney, where you have two talented fighters going tit for tat. I'm not sure. Um, there's potential for almost any scenario. The only scenario I don't see is Sonny Edwards stopping Bam. But either way, we're going to see magnificent skills on display from two of the best in the sport. I think the winner will be in that conversation for the top 10 pound-for-pound fighters in the world. Sonny Edwards versus Bam Rodriguez 
is one you simply don't want to miss. That's going to be on DAZN. Check that out Saturday night. The undercard doesn't have much to look forward to, but there is one fight that really stands out. And that's because during the weigh-in, there was a brawl that broke out between these two prospects. I'm talking about Junaid Boston versus Gordy Russ. This is prospect versus prospect. This is at the 154-pound division. Boston is 7-0. He turned pro last year. 7-0 with six knockouts against Gordy Russ, who is 6-0 with six knockouts. This is what boxing's all about right here. You got prospect versus prospect, knockout puncher versus knockout puncher. Only one can keep their undefeated streak. These guys got into a fist fight at the weigh-in. So tensions are flaring here. Otherwise, I'd probably say, oh, that looks like a decent fight. But now that you got guys fighting before the fight, I'm all in. This is some pro wrestling stuff for me. You sold me. I want to see this fight. Tune into that one. That should be early on in the card. Boston versus Russ. Prospect versus prospect at 154 pounds. I can't wait to see that one. Make sure you check it out. But zone isn't the only telecast that is taking place Saturday night. We have a bittersweet card going on on Showtime. This will be the final. You heard me correctly. The final Showtime boxing card. Not only of the year, but for the foreseeable future and possibly ever. Showtime is done with boxing. I spoke about it on this podcast before. The good news is we will get PBC on Amazon Prime starting in March of 2024. It's a multi-year deal. We're supposedly getting between 12 and 14 cards per year. So I'm excited about that. But it is a little sad when you talk about Showtime being done with boxing. Showtime's been in boxing for over 30 years. Had some of the best fights in the sports history take place on that network. It was famous for changing the tide in boxing when they signed Floyd Mayweather to a six-fight deal. When Floyd left Show, uh, excuse me, when Floyd left HBO, HBO is now done with boxing. Showtime appears to be done with boxing, but boxing doesn't die. It continues to move forward. We got Amazon, we have Top Rank on ESPN, and of course we have DAZN. But on this card, they're ending it. Not in a massive way, but I think in a in a decent way. I won't say it's a bad card. I won't say it's a great card, but it is something that I'm definitely looking forward to. You got David Morrell back in action. He's headlining. He is taking on Senna Agbeko. Agbeko is a fighter that was supposed to be Morrell's opponent on a Javante Tank Davis card. That didn't happen. He ended up fighting um, Yamaguchi Falkai. Morrell has won six straight fights in a row via knockout. This fight, I don't think is going to last the distance. <laughs> Put it that way. I've heard people saying this guy's going to last over seven rounds. I believe that's the over under. Thinks they're going to last, he's going to last over seven rounds. Look, I don't see where that's going to happen. I think Morrell. Is a killer. I think extremely high of David Morrell. If you're betting money on any fighter at 168 pounds 
to beat the rest of the field. You tell me I can only take one of these guys. I'm taking David Morrell. I've said it before. I'll say it again. I will double down. I will take David Morrell over anybody on the planet who can make 168 pounds. I'm sure you're saying, oh my God, that's such a bold statement. That's fine. I'm willing to put it out there. David Morrell cleans up the division. I think he has every skill that it takes to beat the likes of Canelo Alvarez, of David Benavidez, of you listening to this podcast. If you can make 168 pounds, I think he beats you. He's that good to me. He has the speed. He has the power. He has the defense. He has the feet. He has the agility. He has the mindset to get the job done. The argument against that is, oh, we haven't seen him fight this many people. We haven't seen him fight top-notch competition. I agree with that, but it's a projection. I'm predicting. I'm projecting where he's going to go. That's what I see. That's what my eyes tell me. David Morrell is going to get this guy, Egbeko, out of there probably within four rounds. I don't care who this guy is. I haven't really, I've seen him fight once or twice. I don't really remember much about him besides that he's a hard hitter. Just being a tough puncher, big puncher, isn't going to be enough to beat David Morrell. David Morrell is that guy. David Morrell, they say, oh, he doesn't have the experience. He only has nine fights. Hey, that's fine. I'm taking the guy with nine fights. Egbeko has 30 fights. So I don't want to hear about experience. If experience matters so much for an opponent against David Morrell, then this guy is going to give him trouble, right? I expect him to give him trouble. Maybe the people that said seven rounds were right. I'm betting against it. I think Morrell stops this dude. Egbeko is 28 and 2. 22 knockouts. He clearly can punch. Clearly can punch. His reach, 74. 74 and a half, actually. I mean, he has the dimensions. He's 30 years old. He has the dimensions. He's six feet tall. But can he take that power coming back at him? Not only the power, the speed and the accuracy that David Morrell delivers that power... I don't think so. I got David Morrell by slaughter in the main event. But there's other interesting fights on this card. You have Chris Colbert versus Jose Valenzuela. A fun rematch. I think the first match was really competitive, really close. A lot of people thought Valenzuela won that fight. Colbert eked it out to me. It was really close, though. Could have went either way. That's why we have the rematch. I like Colbert in the rematch. I think... He's the better pure boxer, but Valenzuela has power, as he showed in the first fight when he dropped Colbert multiple times in that fight. So um, that's going to be one to watch. The loser is going to be in a really tough spot. Both these guys were highly touted prospects. Now, with losses on their record, it's a little different now. It's kind of like win and move on almost for their career, at least at, at a high level. And then you have Alberto Pueyo. He's taking on Hector Madera. That should be a decent fight. 
And then one that I'm really looking forward to. We talk we call this the washed welterweight portion of the telecast. Say what you want. I'm sure this fight got a lot of hate. I love it. I don't like when you bring up a washed fighter and put him in there with a top contender. But when you have two washed fighters going at it against each other with name value, with history in the sport, I'm all in. This might be a sloppy, sloppy experience here. Pause. We're talking about, you ever see Billy Madison where the lunch lady is delivering sloppy joes and she comes up and she's all creepy, goes over to the lunch table and she's like, I made them extra sloppy for you. That's going to be this fight. It's going to be ugly and I am here for it. I'm talking about Andre Berto at 40 years of age. Hasn't fought in five years. But hey, this is the final card on Showtime. Let's bring him out. Give him one last hurrah. He is fighting in a rematch against Robert the Ghost Guerrero. Also 40 years old. He hasn't fought in two years. This is going to be ugly. This is going to be one that is going to either be embarrassing or really damn fun. Because if you remember, these guys first fought in 2012. And not only was that a title fight. Actually, it was for an interim title, my bad. It was an interim title fight. But it was a fight of the year candidate. That win over Andre Berto by Robert Guerrero got him a Floyd Mayweather fight. I'll never forget watching this fight. I'm like, this is a fucking war. This is amazing. If you haven't seen that fight, go back and watch it. It's a really fun one. Robert Guerrero beats the hell out of Andre Berto in that fight. And, and Guerrero took a beating as well. But I remember Guerrero, at the end of that fight, he says, I want Floyd Mayweather. I'll never forget it. I'm a huge Floyd Mayweather fan. And when I heard that, I said, huh? Floyd Mayweather? Are you really going to get a Floyd Mayweather fight? I'm like, that's kind of, I don't know. I mean, that was a great win. It definitely was. But I was like, I don't know. Is he going to get a Floyd fight? Nah, Floyd ain't going to fight this guy. Next thing you know, Floyd puts up a pole, I believe, at that time. And Robert Guerrero, or maybe that was for the Maidana fight. I think he did the pole for the Maidana fight. But anyway, Floyd Mayweather ends up fighting Robert Guerrero. because Oh, that's right. It was his first fight back from jail. Floyd Mayweather served some time. Came out. It was the first fight on Showtime for Floyd. And it was against Robert Guerrero. The build to it was great. Floyd, his first fight back, going against a rugged southpaw. Robert Guerrero was playing the um, It's My Destiny. I'm a man of God. He put me here for a reason. I'm here to humble Floyd Mayweather. Um, Robert Guerrero's dad famously called Floyd a woman beater, said um, you was in jail with the snitches. <laughs> it was a crazy buildup. Go back and watch those all accesses from that back in 2012, or 2013 rather. They're fantastic. I'll still never forget that highlight where Floyd and Robert Guerrero are face-to-face. They're about to shoot a commercial. They're face-to-face. And Floyd is all up in, in Robert's face, intimidating him, saying, I don't know who you beat. I don't know who you lost to. 
Is it Guerrero or Guerrero? I don't know your name. Is it Robert Guerrero or Guerrero? I don't know. Either way, you're going to lose. How do you want to go out? Your face or your back? Because either way, you're going to go out. I don't know who you beat. I don't know who you lost to. And Robert was just so flustered. He was. You could tell how mad he was, but he didn't really have much to say back. But it, it was actually a really good performance by Floyd. But anyway, I say all that to say this. Berto versus Guerrero in 2012 was amazing. In 2023, at 40 years old, I don't know how it's going to go, but I'm excited for it. I cannot wait to see this fight, actually. It's probably my most anticipated fight on the card. Two 40-year-olds going at it one last time. Who knows how it's going to be, but they're fighting on the final Showtime card. It seems like a farewell fight, really. I mean, five years out the ring for Berto. Who knows what type of shape he's in? Who cares? I heard someone say, who even cares how many rounds this fight is? We're getting it. I'm all in for it. I think it's going to be a fun one. Um, a while back, Brian Campbell of CBS Sports. Shout out to Brian Campbell. He's now in Morning Combat. But I remember years ago, him and Rafe Bugs, Rafe Bartholomew, they suggested that boxing has a washed welterweight tournament. Hashtag washed welters. And these two names came up in the in the tournament. So I think this would be great to have. You throw guys like Victor Ortiz in there. All these old washed fighters that just don't have it anymore. They can't really contend anymore. Throw them in there together. Either way, whether this results in more of these or not, I think if it's a success, it can. I don't know if Saturday night's going to be a success, but I do think it's going to be fun. I think there's going to be a lot of viral moments in this fight one way or another, whether they're embarrassing or whether they're great. But tune in. Can't wait to see it. Remember, it's Showtime's final card ever. That sounds crazy to even say. But definitely tune into that. Tune into the zone. Watch Bam vs. Sonny. That is by far the best fight of the weekend. But over on Showtime, for the final time, there is some quality there. And I'm looking forward to it. Make sure you tune in. And before we go, I want to run through maybe not the best ever because admittedly I didn't have enough time to really filter through all the fights. But some of the best Showtime fights that I can remember. And if you haven't seen these, you have to tune in. I'm just going to rattle off a couple that come off come to mind right away. Number one, and again, this isn't an order or anything except for the last one. The last one is going to be in order. <laughs> it's going to be by far number one. But... I just want to mention, um, real quick, Marvelous Matt, Marvin Hagler taking on John Mugabe, the beast John Mugabe. That is a sensational fight. I believe I read somewhere that, that might have been the first Showtime fight. I don't know if that's true. Correct me if I'm wrong here. But that fight is incredible. Watch that fight if you haven't seen it. That took place in 1986, and it was for the undisputed middleweight championship. Another one that comes to mind, and this one's massive, Mike Tyson versus Evander Holyfield. Not the second one. I think the second one was on Showtime, too, where he bites his ear. Of course, that's iconic. But that first fight was fantastic. Go back and watch it. Tyson Holyfield. I'm a Holyfield guy, so I always love that. Love to mention, hey, my guy beat Mike Tyson. But that's neither here nor there. Go back and watch it. It's exciting. It's excellent. It's It just makes you wish the heavyweight division was as popular as it was back then. And then, of course, you have to mention the trilogy. I don't know if the whole trilogy was on Showtime, but Israel Vasquez versus Rafael Marquez, the trilogy was insane. Super Bantamweights, very underrated. I feel like 
If you know, you know. But a lot of people don't talk about this trilogy, and it was amazing. It was, just go back and watch it. I'm talking Israel Mar Vasquez, Rafael Marquez. Not Juan Marquez, Rafael Marquez. Go back and watch it. It's sensational. I'll watch all three fights, really. And then, of course, number one, the best fight of all time, if you ask me. Diego Corrales versus Jose Luis Castillo won May 7th, 2005 in Vegas. Wow. That's a fight. I have nothing else to say. Showtime. It's been real. They've put out the best product in the last at least 10 to 15 years. It's sad to see them go, but hopefully Amazon can take the PBC and the sport in general to new heights. But I will miss, if assuming we don't hear them again, I will miss Jimmy Lennon Jr., Al Bernstein, Moro Ronaldo breaking down the fights. These guys are the soundtracks to some of the most exciting entertainment of my life. But it's a new era. Thank you guys for listening. Don't forget to give me that five-star review. Have a safe weekend and enjoy the fights. I'm out.